This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Good morning and welcome to the September 28th edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. I'm your host, Brian Schrader, agronomist on the east side of the state. And as always, joined by my fellow co-host, Carl Joran on the western side of the state and Ben Jacob from southern Indiana. Good morning, guys. How are you? Morning, Brian. I'm doing well. Doing pretty well, Brian. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. We are started harvest over here on the east side of the state. Uh, with some soybean and uh, actually had some really solid reports of some uh, corn harvest over the weekend. And so we're getting excited and getting tuned up. I think there'll be a lot more folks uh, that will start uh, harvest this week. And so we're uh, excited to see how things are yielding and kind of the results of the season. So, and with that, that's probably a great segue because what we're going to do is we're going to start our round robin around the state like we've done uh, the last couple falls. Uh, for our listeners and we're starting today in southern indiana with uh, the folks that ben works with so we've got uh, jason and dan uh, jason geist and dan emmer a fellow field agronomist from southern indiana and uh, we're gonna kind of get a crop report from these guys and talk a little bit about the growing season and what they're seeing as we really get started so maybe let's start in the deep south if you will dan why don't uh, you start us off give us a report kind of talk us through what your season's been like and what you're seeing so far uh, with the crop. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I think uh, highly variable would be the key phrase that that is going to keep coming up again and again and again. Um, overall trends, we were like a lot of the state, too wet in April, really tight planting windows, and probably 80% or more of the crop that got planted could have used uh, another day or two of drying before it got planted. Um, once we got into June, that drying really did come for most of my area. Uh, there in, in late June, we were abnormally dry across the whole area. Um, across the northern portion of my territory, so kind of Knox County, Davies County, so Vincennes, Washington area, we got some rains late, uh, or I guess, early July, right after the 4th of July, that really saved a lot of the crop. You move further south towards the Ohio River, it was another week uh, before they got that rain. So they had a lot of pollination stress and um, some things like that. So uh, then moved towards the end of July and first week of August, and it started raining um, and continued to rain. We had, you know, over 15 inches there in a, in a week for portions of my territory. And with that came a lot of clouds. So that mid-May planting day, we just saw a ton of uh, kernel abortion and tip back. Um, so those, are, those were probably the biggest trends we saw. Uh, Disease-wise, southern rust kind of came in late. And, uh, not a major concern, but, um, you know, yield-wise for corn, most guys are saying it's about 10% off from the previous two years, which is not terrible, uh, but it's, it's not like what we've had the past two years. You go down into that far south part of the area, and there's some really disappointing corn yields where I was with a guy last week, and, it, you know, that it was too dry, too hot for too long. And 
I mean, he was absolutely right. Um, soybean, you know, with the variability, they've been kind of all over the board as well. Had some good yields again, not quite as good as the past two years for some guys. And then um, in some other places where it's, you know, it's still early and on some of those soils with a lot better drainage are probably, you know, more drought prone, I guess. But we've been closer, you know, a lot more yields in the 50s and 60s. So, Dan, you mentioned all them. over the board. You mentioned the mid-May planning. What are you seeing as the best planning window for corn and soybeans in your territory? Where, where do you expect to see the highest yields come from, given that mid-May planning? You had, you know, the wet conditions, the clouds, the lack of solar radiation. Where's going to be the best planning window, do you think, for your geography? Oh, man, it's it's. Uh all over the board. I'll tell you, we had one guy, um, a plot where they planted the plot and said, Hey, it's, it's way too heavy. So it's late April, April 28th. I think the plot was planted. They came back four days later and planted, uh, had a better stand caught, uh, rain, you know, that stuff, that stuff would have fallen in a few days later and the rain came. There was a 15 to 20 bushel difference just in that three or four day planting difference. So it's, it's going to be all over the board. I think that if you're able to get a good stand in early May, I think that's going to be the best, but there's not a whole lot of fields with uh, those really good stands in, in early May. Okay. So it, all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's kind of slide around, I guess, maybe to the Eastern side of the state a little bit, Jason, uh, maybe a similar update from you, what you're seeing. Uh, I'd be curious about the planning dates you expect to see Excel as well as you kind of share your comments about what's going on in your geography. Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just to mimic what Dan was saying, uh, the one the one word that comes to mind when I've been having all of our field days this year has been variability. Um, you know, timing of rains and planning date and everything like that is going to have just a huge impact on what we're seeing with our with our crops, specifically corn, you know, as, as we know, soybeans have a little bit more time to compensate and flower and make up for, I'll call it lost yield, whereas corn uh, is building that ear the entire season. So a lot of variability in what we're seeing with corn, um, similar to Dan, you know, wet, we didn't get much planted until I'll call it the last week of April. Um, and then we got pretty wet again until about, I think around the 10th, 12th of May. It's probably our biggest planting window and we got wet again and then we opened back up at kind of late May going into June, uh, at least here locally. So, and then, you know, once the water turned off somewhere around the 10th or so of June, you know, we were dry until mid July. Um, as a broad statement, there were, there were pop-up showers that, that, you know, there's some garden spots here in the Southeast part of the state where we, Got some of those pop-up showers a little more timely than others, um, but it was probably mid-July before we really had a good statewide or area-wide rain, you know, that just kind of soaked the area and, and gave all of us some water. But um, so far, you know, the yield reports I've gotten in would have been from that kind of first planting window, uh, late April, 1st of May. Um, soybean yields, guys have been very happy. Um, this would be our late group twos, early threes. Um, I would say average to above average on just the, the few reports that I've gotten in so far. 
but there hasn't been a lot yet. Uh, we're, you know, just started ramping up kind of later last week. Um, corn, so far, you know, reports from that planting window has been, I'll say, better than expected. Um, you know, I didn't know. I remember walking plots uh, pre-pollination and shortly after thinking this is not good. Um, but in most cases, we hung on to, we pollinated pretty well and hung on to most of the kernels from that early planting window. Um, and I think growers have been pleased uh, with what they've been seeing on corn. Um, kind of like Dan was talking about, our biggest planting window uh, was probably when we had the most, I'm seeing the most tip back kind of from that mid-May planting window. Um, haven't gotten too many yield reports from that window yet. Um, honestly, some of the best kernel counts that I've got are from that June planting window. So, you know, the rest of the season here kind of going to dictate uh, what that looks like, but we should be set up for some pretty good late planted corn yields this year from what I've seen. So, um, you know, the only other kicker, um, you know, I've got, got some pretty heavy pockets now that the beans have started to turn. Uh, we may forget about some of those fields, but um, where we started catching rains heavy, heavy in July, you know, we had a lot of sudden deaths showing up. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to impact things yet, but there's certainly going to be some, some fields in southeast Indiana that got hit pretty hard with sudden death. Okay. Excellent. Well, not excellent, but I appreciate the report. Ben, <laughs> uh, uh, moving over, I guess, a little bit west. Uh, you, you've given us uh, some crop insight all the way along here, but uh, give us kind of a synopsis of how you feel, especially with uh, some of your folks getting into the field at this point. Yeah, I mean, Dan and Jason both both used word variable and they both used the phrase better than expected. And I, I think you can catch a lot of operations with that. Uh, you know, back backing up through the year, we had a similar weather pattern. Um, I think the difference between most of the area that I cover and some of the other spots in, in southern Indiana is when when we finally started raining again, the rains the rains were never excessive. Uh, we haven't had any storms really to speak of in this area. So you know, an inch even even at one point we got three inches over over thirty six hours, but it it averaged you know a tenth or two tenths an hour. It never came down. And, and that, that's actually what broke the drought for us was that, was that right there. So it was just beautiful. The, the, the really only the, the tough spot after the drought in June would have been that when the rain did come, the sun went away and it went away for about three weeks straight. And, and I think that that led and coupled with the drought when you had plants coming out or trying to come out of that drought stress being low low on carbohydrates you had a smaller plant already that was recovering from stress getting into that overcast period it just never really created the groceries to fill to completely fill out a good year so you know i would i would echo what both of them said with the variability um, early yields early yields have been been like i said better than expected We've had some phenomenal bean yields and spots. We've had some average bean yields and spots. Um, but I think back over the over August and most of September, I mean, in this area, we've had just beautiful weather. It's been relatively cool, with the exception of a handful of days. We got rain once a week, and then it went away, and the sun came back out. So you think about, you know, driving photosynthates for pod fill and for grain fill, uh, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Now. 
know, Jason talked about the kernel count and, and that mid-May planted corn. I, I agree with that. That is probably going to be the most beat up corn in this crop. And, and it's largely going to be driven by tip back. The, I'd also echo what he said about June planted corn. I and mean, we have really nice, really nice kernel counts. Ears are filled out to the tip. And, you know, we had, we had a really dry June which kind of led to a decrease in overall disease pressure. So, you know, in a lot of years we'd worry about tar spot or Southern rust really hammering that June planted corn. And we just, we just didn't see it this year. And even, even overall gray and Northern were lighter as well, in my opinion. So I think probably as we get deeper into harvest, particularly on corn, um, we're going to see, we're going to see improved yields. And, and like Jason said, probably a pretty good, a pretty good June crop. Um, that June corn as it planted is, is you know, as, as it happens, is um, it's a little bit bigger statured. You know, our early planted corn that went through that, the drought is real small statured. And, you know, late planted corn is going to get bigger anyway, but uh, we just got a lot bigger factory that stayed healthy late into the year. And, and I'm, I'm honestly pretty excited to see, to see what some of this late planted corn turns into now that's not going to constitute the bulk of our corn crop. You know, most of it's going to, most of it was planted in those three day windows that Dan mentioned where maybe the first two days were a touch on the heavy side, shall we say. Um, so as we get through that and we think about the stress that that crop has went through, um, you know, we are, we are seeing some warts on it. Um, I think that in some areas, standability could be a concern stock quality could be a concern particularly you know we've went through the entire summer without having a, a named tropical storm and that that's about to change so you know if, if we happen to get into a wet fall with a lot of storms coming up that that could cause us some issues and um you know i know i'm seeing some of it and and i know dan and jason have and, and i'll let them speak speak to it as well but i've seen some um some ear molds popping up as well so it's not without warts, um, and there's still going to be some challenges as we go through as we go through harvest, I think. But if you go back and, and took the pulse of of the community at large at the end of June, the beginning of July, and compared it to where we are now, I think I think everybody feels pretty good about about where we're setting. I, I think you're right, Ben. If you think back to some of the reports that we got from uh, the statistics service, and you think about crop condition especially in that time frame that you're talking about, things were not always rosy, uh, even just in reported crop condition. And I, I expect not only what you guys are describing uh, down there, but up here as well. It's certainly variable, but I do think it's going to be better than what was expected. Let's go back, Ben. You're one that always reminds us about the importance of knowing about and understanding compounding stresses. And so we want to talk about that because you guys have all talked about a number of these stresses, you know, Dan, you talked about some issues with stands starting early because things were maybe planted a little heavier than they were. Uh, the stock quality concerns, the ear molds, all of these things. Let's kind of dive into this a little bit. Talk about what you guys thinks are, think are contributing to these and then maybe talk a little bit about how bad or how little you're seeing and maybe talk to our growers a little bit about what can we do if you're experiencing some of those things. So Jason, maybe we'll start with you. I know that you've expressed some concerns 
about stock quality specifically a couple different times and text messages and conversations that we've both been a part of. I'd be curious your thoughts a little bit on stock quality and your geography and what you're advising your customers and growers on around stock quality. Sure. Yeah. So like you said, the, the whole compounding stress factor, um, you know, this, this corn crop's been through a lot uh, since the time it went into the ground, um, especially depending on, you know, again, timing of rains and where things were at, but uh, some of those fields that got planted maybe a little bit heavier, uh, some of the more poorly drained fields um, went in heavy this spring, and then they were stressed for, you know, a month, six weeks um, during the, oh, June going into July, and then we started catching heavier rains again. That's kind of a perfect recipe for stock rots um, in a lot of cases. So, um, haven't had a ton of reports yet, uh, but they're starting to trickle in, you know, as this crop's maturing, uh, we're getting closer to harvest. Um, most of the time you, you know, you cut into the stock where you see some plants that did go down and it's, uh, we've got some sort of crown rot, uh, that has taken that plant out. Um, seen a little bit of gibberella stock rot, uh, mostly isolated again to those areas that are probably a little bit heavier, went in heavier. Uh, stayed heavier, you know, shortly after planting, and then uh, definitely had the the stress throughout the rest of the season to kind of lend itself to that that stock rot taking the plant out. And Dan, I know you've mentioned uh, again in some conversations a little bit about um, what we refer to sometimes within the brand as uh, PMD premature death uh, that happens. A lot of times that's environmentally related. I'd be curious what you're seeing and kind of the same thing with Jason. We know it contributes to stock quality at times. What what are you seeing from that standpoint and how are you advising your growers uh, on that phenomenon? Yeah, so it is, it's very uh, patchy uh, and, you know, not even a couple county areas, but you can, I can see a lot of variation, you know, just in two or three miles, depending on when some of these spring storms came through and and dumped two or three inches in an area where it's five miles to the south, they may not have gotten it. Um, I think a, a lot of that premature death, like Jason mentioned, um, comes from crown rot, whether that's a fusarium fungus or pythium or another kind of fungus that infects that plant early and doesn't kill it, but it, it plugs off that vascular tissue. And so nutrients aren't able to move through, especially as we move into late grain fill but um trend wise it, it does seem in places like it is, is worse in conventional tillage and corn after corn where you've got more of that disease inoculum in corn after corn but also conventional tillage that soil stayed saturated and was kind of a, a soup if you will in that early root zone whereas the the no-till uh some of that water was able to move down through the, the macropores and, and get off a little bit. So um, there definitely are hybrid differences, um, you know, probably uh, P1718 and P1136 are two where I'm seeing that a little bit more this year. Um, management wise, as growers have those issues, you know, it's, it's, one getting out and scouting your fields early and, and doing a push test and or or the, you know pinching the stalks down at the base or 
as we get later in the year, it's a lot easier to just walk down the row and go through. And I like to push 20 plants in a row and just extend my arm out and see if the stalk snaps back or if it kinks over. Um, and if you are seeing a lot of stock issues, I mean, it, it, I know dryer gas is not cheap, but man, it, it's a lot better to get in and, and harvest this crop early than to, than to deal with harvest issues and slowing down and having to pick, pick corn up off the ground. So that's the big things. And then, you know, take note of those hybrids that are having issues and those are both really good products there's a lot of really good products that can suffer from that and and uh, as you move forward and thinking about having those in your crop plants for next year try and keep them in places where you can avoid uh, some of that saturated soil so whether it's a better tile system or soil type or those types of things dan i'd, I'd say um you know when it comes to making those observations on your farm it's a great opportunity to ask you know the person you're doing business with from a pioneer perspective and say are you seeing this elsewhere because that individual knows where a lot of those uh those individual hybrids wound up and if that's more of a one-off experience or if that's a trend that that's being observed and you know dan and the rest of the crew down in southern indiana can you know share those observations as well if, if your rep isn't as hip to that or needs a little bit wider geographical lens one thing i think um you know kale rustler for you guys and um Farrell and campworth for me up north do such a great job of is as we get these products in there advanced and released to us oftentimes they'll they'll give us kind of the management guidance and i can remember when 1136 was brought on here a couple of years ago uh, the comment was made, this is going to be a hybrid that really thrives on the well-drained acre. And where I've got it mm -hmm. on some uh, black sand up in the Kankakee River Valley, it is it just looks like absolute monster corn. Um, and so that that's one thing, an advantage of the Pioneer system is you have those product agronomists that are walking those hybrids because they live where they serve. Um, they're able to tease that stuff out. Whereas if it just got combined, you know, you might have 240 bushel corn, but if it doesn't look all that hot, you know, we, we might be missing out on some management characterization opportunities. So just wanted to give that plug there. Um, so, uh, yeah. Something else I'll add, Carl, is where we've had some local population work where guys have it at like 32,000 versus 36,000. You know, if you, you look at our recommendations, a lot of times they're in those lower 30s. Uh, there is a definite difference in plant health and stock quality when it is managed to where we say the optimum is versus they say, well, I'm planting this other product. It likes to be thicker. I'll just do Pioneer Thicker too. Uh, there's definite differences there in how these products are responding. And I think, you know, Ben talks about compounding stresses. Population can be a stress as well. No, yeah, I, I could share a similar observation up north. You know, I've got um, 17, 18 planted at 35.5, and there's a little bit of PMD in there. It's standing well. Um, and then I have some 17, 18, not too far away, where it's seeded in at 32,000, and it looks green as a gourd. And that's a hybrid, again, through our, our characterization. We know nice flex here. We don't, need to, we don't need to seed it in as thick as whatever would be on the other side of the planter uh, to make that thing yield. Absolutely. Ben, I want to go to you real quick. You had mentioned you're seeing a little bit of these ear diseases. And the reason that I want to bring this up is Dan had mentioned that, you know, some of these infections that are causing some of the PMD happen really early in the season. 
And I think that's one of the things that we don't always think about uh, is that you've got infections that happen throughout the season. And if we don't see a stress late or the right environmental conditions, you know, we can certainly talk about the disease triangle if we want to here, but um, talk a little bit about what you're seeing with these ear molds and maybe talk a little bit about the infection timing of these ear molds. This is not something that's obviously happened in the last 10 days in terms of the actual infection. Yeah, so I mean, with, with ear molds for me, I really, I, the, the infection timing is one thing and then the conditions maybe that allow that disease to manifest or something that, that are completely different. So, um, you know, and, and similar to stock rots, a lot of times ear molds, we're, we're gonna see them driven as, as stress immediately after pollination or, or you know, during grain fill. So, um, the, the problem with this year, when when we're trying to discuss stress and and you know you you've mentioned the compounding thing, I won't I won't give you any more fuel for that and dive into it. But the the solar the solar radiation aspect um, is often understated. I think is the way to put it, and and it's it's easy to do because it doesn't show up on your your weather report. You can look at a monthly weather summary, and it doesn't say, "Hey, we were." three average days behind over this time period or, you know, and I looked, we do track that internally. And I look at a lot of these locations where we're having some of the pollination and issues and then subsequent ear, ear issues. And I, I also should throw the caveat in, I'm seeing some pockets of ear molds um, to some degree, it's hybrid specific. And, and um, so I don't want anybody to think that it's a widespread disaster, but, but we, we are seeing some and pockets, but uh, you go back and look at the solar radiation and we went, you know, we came through June um, almost and we're at my house almost 10 days on that, you know, 10 days worth of solar radiation ahead on the year. Um, and by the time we got to the end of July, we were almost two weeks behind. So this speaks to the, you know, the amount of solar radiation that we lost throughout the month of July um, really, really hit these plants hard and, and it's it's uh as far as infection goes it's a similar similar to the stock rods right you know you, the infection can occur at really any time and then, and then you have some some period of latency if you don't have the environment for it to spread or you know obviously we're selecting plants to be resistant right so if we have if we don't have any additional stresses even if you have the infection if a plant has all its groceries it's going to be able to stave most things, most things off fairly well. Um, I think, I think this comment applies less maybe to ear, ear rots there than it does to stock rots, but oftentimes it's more than one. Um, and I, I add to the stock rot comment, you know, I, I, I get the comment often, Hey, this is, this is jib, this is anthracnose, this is whatever stock rot you want to make it out to be. And almost always it's a complex uh you know there there are a group of things and almost always there is some degree of cannibalization that goes with it um, from whatever stress that that plant has went through so to say that this product is just sensitive to jib is pretty or, or whatever that might be is pretty short-sighted in both those cases i think we need to look at look at everything together and see you know if there's something we can adjust from a management standpoint like dan brought up or do do we just have an anomaly in the weather that you know maybe we 
maybe if we uh, plan for that anomaly every year, we're giving something up on the other side. So we can consider it a one-off and, you know, move on from that. So the stock rots and ear rots are, are, they're complex and they, they don't occur in a vacuum, right? So they can be difficult to discuss in the field and even more difficult to diagnose if you're not, if you're just looking at it from the combine and saying, hey, there's some ugly kernels or these stocks are weak or whatever without without diving in a little bit deeper, it can be it can be really tough to sort out exactly what you're dealing with and and know what you need to do going forward. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's a good transition point, really. I'd be curious, not only around stock rots and around ear molds, but also as you guys are having conversations, we know our growers have a fair amount of time to think about things and plan for the future when they're harvesting. I'd be curious, what are some of the common questions you guys are getting about the 23 season at this point? And then maybe into that, how are you helping folks manage some of the issues that they're seeing this year moving forward? So Ben, I might go right back to you with that because your, your thoughts kind of led me that direction with my question. I'm just curious about, what we're looking at as we move to the 23 season for folks. Yeah, I, for, for me personally, I'm, I'm just going to start there. I'm trying to be really careful not to learn the wrong thing. Right? As I, as I look at products on a broad area and with a tough spring, we tend to be a little bit lighter on plots than, you know, than we are in a, in a year with a good planting window. So um, when looking at products, I, I, I'm trying to be very careful not to learn the wrong thing. And, and that's probably, that's probably pertinent as I, as I start working with growers, when we look at just how our product life cycles run and we've had a couple of big advancement classes that, that folks are getting to see for the first time this year. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all gamblers in some degree, right. That, that this is a crop that's grown outside and we don't get to control the weather. So, we're trying to we're trying to hedge our bets and manage the risk that we can. Um, so I think we need to really understand what's impacted a product or what's impacted a crop, and and whether we do actually need to make any changes to manage that. Or um, in in some places, yeah, we can say that. Well, yeah, like Dan mentioned, let's keep keep this product on some better drainage through tile or soil type or whatever that might be. And and in other instances, say that well you know, let, let's be honest about our planting window. What sort of condition did this actually go on the ground in? What did our root growth look like as we went into that dry period in June? And, you know, how much, how much of this is, is a product issue and how much of it is just, just an effect of the year. So that's, that's where, that's where I'm going to start going through is, you know, what, not not making decisions on what happened this year, making decisions on what we expect or hope is going to happen in the future, and and how we're going to manage things going forward. And again, you know, we can't we can't predict the weather. We we may we may well have another tough spring, um, you know, but they're not they're not all like that, right? Each each year presents its unique challenges, and and uh, you know we can we can manage risk within that. We know, we know what some of those challenges are going to be year in and year out. And, uh, we can manage that within it. But, um, I, I would just be cautious about what we're, what we're learning in certain spots. I think. Fair advice for sure. Jason, how about you? What are some of the questions or thoughts that you're carrying forward as we actually do start to turn the page a little bit here and move toward 23? 
Sure. Um, I guess I'll just share share uh, some conversations I was having here, I guess, about a month ago. Um, you know, I mentioned we had probably heavier SDS this year in our soybean crop than what we've had uh, the last handful of years. Um, so I had a lot of questions coming up on beans, on how to manage that disease. Um, you know, so that's that's one of those those things where once the seed's in the ground, there's nothing you can do. Um, so trying to help folks understand that, that really now is just as good a time as any time to start planning for that. Um, you know, and we do have two two main tools in the toolbox for that. Um, you know, I'm excited as we look at our new A-series Enlist soybean class that's coming out. Uh, you look across the board there, we've got one to two points higher on SDS uh, than what we've had in our T-series. You know, so we should see some, and I saw some big differences in plots this year on that. Um, and then, you know, had more questions around the Levo seed treatment coming up this year as well, uh, trying to help combat SDS. So is that a disease that we're going to see every year? Um, probably not as significant as what we did this year. Uh, we're going to have pockets every year. Um, but, you know, again, now's the time to kind of plan for that and come up with a game plan if you got a field with it. Uh, this year, that's bad. You know, it's going to be a field that's going to have that same challenge in two years when you go back to beans. Um, so that's, that's one that's popped up now or, you know, about a month ago. Uh, when that disease was showing up in the fields. Um, corn, you know, like I said, we're just now starting to dive into corn. Uh, so I think at this point in time, guys are just excited to go out and uh, see what things look like, um, learn about some of the new products, the side-by-sides and splits and things like that that they had with our intro class this year. So I expect more questions to be rolling in here uh, once more combines hit the fields. Good. Dan, same, same thing for you. What, what's kind of the plan or thoughts on 23 at this point? Yeah, it's um, probably the, the themes that have been coming up most have been uh, questions about starter um, and whether that be from a fertility aspect or also, uh, you know, in uh, planter applied fungicide, uh, specifically Zyway that, with the wet spring that we had and less than ideal planting conditions, um, we've seen some dramatic early season differences in, in plant growth from uh, increased amounts of starter and, and adding different things in. And so um, guys just asking, you know, is that something that we should think about every year? Is this, you know, kind of like that uh, 2016 with fungicide where we saw a huge response and some years we won't see as much or just kind of working through those things, which I think the nice difference between a fungicide and many of the nutrients we apply with starter is that, you know, those nutrients are going to be applied at, at one point during the season, whether you're putting it on with the planter or, you know, it's a broadcast application or something like that. So that's probably been one of the more common topics. Um, and then a, another topic, and this isn't quite as widespread, but it, it's with people about enlist soybeans and how much did all of the cupping that we saw in late June and early July really affect yield? Is, is that something that they need to think about? Uh, you know, and there, there's some people that are considering moving away from enlist until they get the combine in the field and then, you know, yields have been 
better than expected. So they're looking at uh, continuing with the enlist. And then, of course, you know, the guys that were on the wrong side of that and, and maybe the ones contributing to the cupping or, you know, depending on their mood, some of them are like, well, hey, I don't want to deal with that again. And then maybe some of the more contrary ones are saying, hey, I, you know, because of me, that's why their beans are doing so good. You know, whenever you cup them up, that always helps beans yield sure. better. So yeah. it's just, uh, you know, you can't win on that. Nope, not at all. That's a, that's a lose, lose conversation for sure. So, well, guys, we've uh, been on here a while. I want to make sure that uh, we hit anything maybe that we haven't hit. Do the three of you guys from the uh, southern part of the state have anything you want to talk about that we haven't hit yet? Brian, I may um, put Dan on the spot here because because we when we had when we had these fellows on in the spring, Dan, you know, talking about some of the trials that were out. Oh, that's you know, right. Last last year, Dan had a shade cloth demo in, in Montgomery on corn, and and the results were quite dramatic. And I know they replicated that this year in beans. Uh, just curious if Dan had any observations from that um, that he could share here before we get into harvest um i was over there last week um we're we're gonna wait for the leaves to senesce before we count pods and everything it, it does look like a uh, late shade you know as you're talking about going through r6 shading that treatment is senescing leaves a little bit earlier than anything else but it you know corn is is so linear in development you can really see things um beans uh, you know in two weeks we'll have more to talk about the the really cool study this year is again on corn and that that was around um seed orientation and the way that you drop that seed in determines how the leaves come out and of course if all the leaves are are perfect like soldiers and have the leaves going perpendicular across the row and shading early uh, that made a huge difference in late June, early July with the heat and the dry weather as far as canopy temperature, soil moisture, and, and that kind of thing. So that's going to be real cool. But, um, you know, there's always something to learn every year. Uh, we can't control seed orientation, but kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier on starter. If you can get a bigger plant developing earlier and more root growth and shading the canopy, I think that's some of the benefit we saw this year when it's so hot and dry from that added starter. So, yeah, well, we need a fleet of children like what your cooperator did in order to make <laughs> sure that those seeds all get, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some laws about that or something that we will have to work through, but you know, there's a, we'll have you back on Dan. Cause I'm very interested in that study in particular uh, just because of some conversations that I've had with some of my growers over the years. So we'll have you back on after harvest is complete and all that data has been summarized to be able to visit about that one specifically. So Brian, if I'm hearing what these guys had to share, uh, Southern Indiana summary would be that uh, corn is coming in at expectations, depending on where you are, it may be a little above or below. Uh, we're kind of talking through what things to manage for next year based off of what this year brought us. 
And the reminder is don't let one year's weather anomaly uh, skew your perspective. Uh, things like uh, premature death, uh, ear molds. Uh, we could even talk a little bit about stock quality, uh, all kind of contributing to those, uh, those factors, given the lack of sunshine we had shortly thereafter pollination. Um, but again, important things to consider as we're evaluating that 2023 plan. On the bean side, sudden death syndrome, and when we think about those environmental decisions that we don't have control over, but the genetics and management we do, uh, that's where the conversation with your pioneer sales representative is really valuable, where we can talk through how we'd expect a soybean to perform under less than desirable conditions, early planted, cold, uh, perhaps some compaction, same type of conversation on corn. What does that risk reward balance look like? And as I was pouring through the data, as you guys are conversing here, it looks like we've only got 19 uh, plots in the system. So take that for what it's worth. But for every uh, couple days you waited, um, uh, let's see, I want to make sure I say this correctly. For every couple days you waited, it seems as if we're seeing five bushels to the better uh, for the first couple week planting window that we've experienced here over uh, last week of April, first week of May. So a lot of corn that went in up in my area the third week of May. So we've got, uh, you know, a lot a lot longer uh, wait to have for that trend line here. But that was one thing I found of interest. Um, and then because I know everybody's been waiting with bated breath for the first update on the corn hybrid draft scoreboard, um, since we've got Dan and Jason and Ben on, it does look like the South is representing well. Um, 1383 is coming in with first place uh, uh, and then followed thereafter by 1136. Then we drop down just a hair and we've got a nice little cluster of hybrids that are doing well uh, down in Southern Indiana, uh, namely 1170, followed by 1222, 1718 and 1511. So uh, we'll wait for harvest to advance a little bit further before we tell you um, who's associated with what hybrid, but I know Dan and Jason uh, represented the uh, full season contingent very well there. And um, looks like we've got nice performance coming out of the South for those hybrids as well. So uh, job well done on that boys. Yep. Very, very good. So excited to continue to update that Carl and be able to see how we go uh, throughout the season. This is at least for the agronomist team. This is kind of the payoff for all the hard work, just like our growers. And so we get excited about hearing about these results and trying to figure out, you know, what's going to do well and kind of predict 23 as well. When we're doing this, this is a little bit of a report card for us and everything else so we we appreciate the update so guys we appreciate the time and the update from uh, southern indiana if folks want to converse with you or uh, hear a little bit more about what's going on in your area jason how can they get a hold of you if they want to visit a little bit more sure i'm uh, probably most active on my facebook account um, and you can find me or follow me at jason guys agronomy all right, Dan, how about you? We know that uh, you are a Twitter expert, so I'm assuming there's a Twitter handle there for, for somebody to follow. Oh, you can call anybody an expert this, these days. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Dan Emmert, and then also on Facebook, I think it's uh, Dan Emmert Agronomy. All right, Ben, how about you today for the Southern Indiana team? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Ben Jacob or on Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. Um, I would comment, thank Dan and Jason for coming on. It is 
it is always great to get to spend some time just solely focused on God's country down here. So I always appreciate that and hope, hope folks enjoyed their time with us this morning. Carl, where can folks find you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at CJorn. And how about you, Brian Trader? Yep, you can find me at Twitter at BK Schrader or on Instagram B underscore K underscore Schrader. And I will echo Ben's comments. I really enjoy whenever we get a chance to visit with the rest of our agronomist team. I learn from these guys every time I have a conversation with them, whether it's text or email or a phone call. Um, we really have a great team here in Indiana. We hope that our customers uh, value that. We certainly want to be able to provide that value beyond just the price of the bag of seed corn and soybeans. So with that, uh, Dan, Ben, Jason, thank you guys very much for the update for Southern Indiana. Uh, this has been the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast for September the 28th. We hope you guys are having a good, safe start to harvest, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.